The first reading is from the 79th Psalm, verses 1 through 9. If you would like to follow along, it's printed on the back of the announcements. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, as we both hear and read these ancient words, may we hear your word for us this day. Amen. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food, the flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O God, will you be angry forever? Will your jealous wrath burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us the inequities of our ancestors. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Our second reading this morning is from the prophet Jeremiah, the eighth chapter going into the ninth. And it's also found on the back of your bulletin announcements if you'd like to follow along. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is God not in Zion? Is her sovereign not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why, then, has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I may weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. Here ends our reading. In this time between seasons, when we still feel the kiss of summer, and yet the unmistakable fall air begins to greet us gently, preparing us for change, I find myself flipping through pages of memories of this season visiting before. I return to Mrs. Lindgren, 
to our red brick second grade classroom, to her uniform of upswept hair, long prairie-like skirts, and kind intelligence. To the first time she taught us about the rainforests, about tree frogs and orangutans, and the canopy of trees. To the World Wildlife Foundation and the endangered species list. I return, feet pulled up onto my chair, to the first book that enveloped me, to the life of George Washington Carver. I return to the moment I began to realize that beyond her gentleness, Mrs. Lindgren contained a world not yet shared. Beyond the horses she raised and the fairgrounds and the country roads, quietly speaking to our innocence, that it might be strengthened, that we might remember our love of each species and our readiness to protect them, that we might have a counter-narrative ready within us when faced with the lies of racism, that we might remember the feeling of friendship we had toward the living world. It is to this innocence that I believe Jeremiah is trying to speak. Reaching through the literal destruction of Jerusalem and the coming Babylonian exile, through the blood-soaked streets and the bodies being picked apart by birds, reaching through the deceit and sharp tongues and false friendship. He is crying out, tapping into their communal sorrow, that they might recover themselves, that they might return to truth, justice, love, to that true feeling of friendship once known. Even in the face of their failure of integrity, their unwillingness to see, their refusal for redress, it is in solidarity with the innocence still resident within them that Jeremiah cries out in lament. Jeremiah seems to hold a vision of the world that imagines sorrow, integrity, brokenness, well-being as shared. It's not my integrity as separate from yours. It's our integrity, our community's integrity. Now, I can't help but think about domestic violence. As many of you know, that's my other work. Domestic violence is not only a problem of an individual or a selection of individuals. It's a problem bound up with our society. It's our problem, connected to racism, classism, homophobia, sexism, ableism, ageism, all the isms. It is about how we see one another as equal or not. The response might be varied, 
but there is room for each of us to learn and to respond. There may be people in safer positions than others to address direct harms done. We are not all Jeremiah's, protected as a mouthpiece of God. There may be people more appropriate than others to hold a vision of well-being in solidarity with the good still resident within the one who has done violence. And sometimes, the solidarity required is not to someone else, but to the memory of our own innocence until it is strengthened once more. For Jeremiah, even as he speaks out in anger about the spiritual and moral poverty that he is witnessing, as Dwight Lundgren observes, he does not separate himself from community. He continues to work for change, for their collective healing. He remains in communication, trying to rouse the people from their sleep. As he slips in and out of the voice of God, God becomes enfolded into this collective life, too, whether in sorrow with a fountain of tears or in joy and health. It is difficult to discern who is doing the mourning as distinct from another. Jeremiah is grieving because of the people, with the people. Jeremiah's devastation is God's devastation. The people's devastation is Jeremiah's devastation. It's our devastation. I sometimes wonder if Jewish mystics of the 12th and 13th centuries found resonance with Jeremiah. Scholar of Jewish mystical tradition Lawrence Fine writes that Kabbalists believed every proper deed contributes to the well-being of the life of God, while every improper action serves to reinforce the disunity within divine life. Each person has the inherent capacity to affect the life of God. No gesture, no utterance of speech, no thought is lacking in potential significance in the higher realms of reality. There is a mutual and dynamic relationship between human beings and the transcendent realm with which they are so essentially united. God's own well-being is determined by human action. I am also reminded of Mongolia and the belief held by the people that thunderstorms are the manifestation of the ancestral world responding to disharmony by the living. Our thoughts, our actions have a direct effect on the spiritual realm and create a reverberating response back to us until equilibrium is established once again. 
It is a far cry from the ways we reject the role we are told we play in climate change. Even when science is so heavily relied upon as part of our epistemology, as part of our way of knowing. We might not share the same cosmologies as 12th century Kabbalists or Mongolian shamans. We might take issue for theological reasons in the sacred, raining down suffering upon us. Still, there is something refreshing and sensible about starting with the assumption that there is a direct correlation between our beliefs and behaviors and the well-being not only of our community, but of the planet. Each time I hear the 16-year-old climate activist Greta Thunberg, it's as if my still-resident innocence begins to peek out of the covers, recognizing the voice of a friend. Like Jeremiah, she continues speaking to the people, trying to awaken and move us to act. In a recent interview, activist and author Naomi Klein said that one reason we don't act is because our initial response to an indefensible injustice is quieted by assurances that all will be okay. It is not that we don't know there's an injustice. It is not that we don't know with the climate crisis that our house is on fire. It is that we have soothed ourselves into believing we don't need to worry like well-meaning parents. We have believed the message mirroring back to us, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Thereby, as Jeremiah says, treating the wound of the people carelessly. And so comes lament as love. Speaking to our innocence, that it might be strengthened. That we might remember our love of each species and our readiness to protect them. That we might have a counter-narrative ready within us when faced with the lies of racism, that we might remember the feeling of friendship we had toward the living world, that we might awaken, find our true accord, and in solidarity, heal. Amen.